You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy The Brandy Show. Well, welcome, everybody, to The Brandy Show. I believe this is Episode 6. It's great to have you along. And what we're going to talk about today, the Lions are 0-2 in the NFL season. And I'm also going to talk about the best and the worst so far, at least what I've seen around the NFL. Michigan wins against SMU. They go to 2-1. and one. We'll talk about the Big Ten and how bad a week last week was for the Big Ten as the Big Ten actually starts now the conference season. Uh, the other thing is I'm going to get on my soapbox today. We're going to talk about helmet-to-helmet college targeting. NFL in the National Football League, they're also doing the same thing to protect the quarterback. Clay Matthews got flagged for a hit that I thought was totally legal. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I want to get on my soapbox. And we're also going to have Trivia Too Deep this week, and we're going to have everybody put on your thinking caps now out there. We're going to go back to the Michigan offense back in 2015, and that was Jim Harbaugh's first year, 2015 Michigan's offense. And our special guest today is going to be John Wangler, former Michigan quarterback. And we're going to talk to John about tailgates, about football, about uh, being a quarterback, and maybe what Shea Patterson is going through now for the Wolverines. All right, let's start with the Lions. Uh, they're 0-2. They lost to San Francisco last week out in the road in uh, the Bay Area, and it's not really pretty. Uh, but let's really analyze this in the way that the Lions were supposed to come into this season. There were two key things they needed to improve. On defense, they needed to get after the passer, and they really needed to stop the run. That was the most important thing, in my opinion. Well, Against San Francisco, the Lions gave up 190 yards rushing. The get, the Jets in the opener gained 169 yards rushing. Going into the season, you knew you had to stop that. The Lions, through the first two games, have not stopped that. And that, to me, defensively, is one of the real key areas where this team has fallen down and they haven't met the challenges that they knew they had to get in better at as he came into the season. Uh, that that one hurts, and I think it hurts the Lions and their opportunities to win games. Look, they've given up 78 points in two weeks. Uh, no, I know that's not all on the defense and that there was a return of an interception and there was a punt, but the fact of the matter is 78 points in two weeks, you're not going to win in the National Football League giving up that kind of point totals, and you're not going to win giving up 190 yards rushing. The other thing is offensively, it was protect Stafford and run the ball. Those were the two key things they had to do to, to improve, to get better, to be in the hunt, if you will, for the NFC North division. Well, once again against San Francisco, they didn't rush for 100 yards. They rushed for just 98 yards. Against the Jets, they only rushed for 39 yards. And that's a problem. You need to protect Stafford a little bit with a running game. Well, he's not getting protected because the running game is not productive. Productive. Now, they did a decent job in protection, thought the offensive line played better against San Francisco. But ultimately, the problem is this. 
30 to 27. Those are the points scored. San Francisco had the 30. The Lions had the 27. That's just never going to get it done. And it's going to get tougher for the Lions because this week they get New England, Tom Brady, and uh, the Patriots. And they're coming off a loss. And it's a nationally televised game from Ford Field on a Sunday night. And you cannot go in the tank like you did on the first Monday night game on national television because then nationally you become a non-factor. You've got to do something when you're on the big stage. This is such a critical game for the Detroit Lions. I don't like to do this, and I normally don't. But I think as early as it is in the season, this still becomes a must-win for the Lions. you got to show somebody something. You're 0-2. If you go to 0-3, I think you've become a forgotten team, and that's the last thing the Lions need. Around the NFL, if we go into the league now, I'm going to give you my four best of what I've seen in the first two weeks. It's the L.A. Rams, and the reason is because of their defense. The Kansas City Chiefs, because of their rookie quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, he has been unbelievable. Uh, That young man can really play. Uh, Jacksonville, I think, is uh, up there, Uh, and I think their defense really puts them over the top. Their quarterback, Blake Bortles, has really come on, and I think there's a tie for the fourth best that I've seen, and it's between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Miami Dolphins. I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick, in Tampa Bay, as quarterback, has done an unbelievable job, and he's going to really put some pressure on the Bucks. And whether they bring Jameis Winston back when he comes back off his suspension and play quarterback, he's their franchise. He's the face of that franchise, and yet Ryan Fitzpatrick has lit it up down there and kind of become a cult hero. So that's going to be interesting to see what the Bucks do in regards to what's not going so good around the league. Cleveland, I swear, the Browns are cursed. I mean, you miss field goals. You have chances to win in the first two weeks of the season. You're a kind of a laughing stock of the league because you haven't won last year. You didn't win a game. This year you've been competitive in the first two, and somehow it always goes wrong. It's like you stub your toe at the most important moment. Cleveland's got a real problem. they got to find a way to win. they got to learn how to win. Once they win, I think they're going to be fine, but, boy, they got to get over the hump. In Pittsburgh, there's all this gnashing of teeth about Le'Veon Bell, their running back. Folks, I want to alert alert Pittsburgh here. It ain't Le'Veon Bell. It's your defense, okay? You've allowed 63 points in two games. You're 0-1-1. It isn't about Le'Veon Bell. It's about the fact you can't stop anybody, okay? And that's the whole deal with the Steelers. Buffalo and Arizona, you guys are vying for the worst teams in the league. Arizona was shut out by Los Angeles. And... uh They were beaten by Washington in week one, and the Redskins were beaten by Indy in week two. So Arizona might just edge out Buffalo. But Buffalo's got the greatest story of the week. They've got a cornerback named Vontae Davis. He retired at halftime. (laughs) He walked into the locker room at halftime of their game this past week, got out of his uniform, put on his street clothes, and left. Now that is unbelievable. I've never heard that happening before. The biggest question is, Did he take a shower? I don't know, but that's one of those things where, man, the NFL gets stranger and stranger, and Vontae Davis early in the season, I think probably became the stranger story by retiring at halftime. Let's move on now. We'll talk about the National Football League, and let's talk about uh, the Big Ten and the University of Michigan. Uh, Michigan wins against SMU. They win big. They gave up some points. That's a little bit of a concern, but... From my standpoint, Michigan, Shea Patterson, 
has proved that he is the real deal throwing on the run. He's got great accuracy. That's a big factor. They still need to get better running the football. The O-line has improved, but it's got to get better than it has been. Still not where it needs to be, but there are improvements there. And I worry about injuries to Karan Higdon and, 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 um, Chris Evans, but the fact of the matter is I think the running game is getting better, but it's not where it needs to be for Michigan to really compete, I think, for a uh, Big Ten championship. The secondary, the concern there is man-to-man coverage. They've got to work to get better. they got too many penalties in man-to-man coverage against uh, SMU, and that was really the big story of the game. The game was herky-jerky. It wasn't a lot of fun to watch because there were so many penalties called, and some of them I thought weren't really penalties, but the referee's going to call it that way. You've got to play that way. And from a man-to-man coverage standpoint, I think that Michigan secondary's got to get a little bit better. The one thing I absolutely loved, the effort and passion of the defensive front four. They were hitting on all eight cylinders in that department. I thought Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary, maybe they were there at their best against SMU. Uh, I really liked they the way they played and that passion and the fact they were playing sideline to sideline on a hot, muggy day. Uh, that's tough. When you're tired, it's that old story about, you know, uh, uh, conditioning can make cowards of us all. And, and, uh, uh, fatigue can make cowards of us all. Well, even when you're tired, uh, you can't go. Those guys were running around like crazy in the fourth quarter. That was a great indication on this defense. Guys stepping up. Somebody asked me this question last week. Guys stepping up who you didn't expect. Carlo Kemp, big time stepping up. Brian Monet, Quiddy Pay, and Aiden Hutchinson. Those four names to me are guys that you didn't think about much during the uh, preseason, but they've really shown up here. Uh, and played well on defense and are getting more reps. So that means that uh, the coaches know how well they've played too. Remember those names, Carlo Kemp, Brian Monet, Quiddy Pay, and Aiden Hutchinson. And one other name, this kid did such a great job in pass protection at running back, True Wilson. He really stuck his nose in there on blitzing linebackers and was the most physical running back in pass protection that Michigan had. He's going to get more snaps because of that. Quarterbacks love guys that block for him, and he's a good, tough runner. Moving on to the Big Ten, I thought it was kind of a black eye for the Big Ten this week, huh? Uh, the Big Ten was 6-7 and seven on the week. Maryland loses, Rutgers loses, Nebraska loses, Wisconsin loses. That's the big eyebrow raiser of the entire week. Wisconsin getting beat by BYU. Illinois loses. Purdue loses, and Northwestern gets beat by Akron. That's the other eyebrow raiser. In many ways, the Big Ten nationally got the big black eye. The conference is now back to where it was, what, three years ago, being questioned of how good they are. Now there's only five unbeatens in the Big Ten as you enter the Big Ten season. They are Ohio State, Indiana, Penn State, Iowa, and Minnesota. Two winless teams, Nebraska and Purdue. So, After this week, who's the Big Ten favorite? Well, I'm not sure. I think Ohio State and Penn State right now are the two teams that you got to say are probably the best. This weekend, the biggest game on the schedule is in the West. Wisconsin travels to Iowa. That game right there, that game right there is going to tell a lot about the Big Ten and what's going on in the West. The biggest game in the East will be Michigan State traveling to Indiana. Michigan State's coming out that loss to Arizona State. This is 
Indiana is one of those unbeaten teams in the Big Ten, 3-0. This is a key game for Michigan State, there's no question. They're playing a good team at Indiana. One last thing about the Big Ten, and I uh, said I wasn't going to bring this up anymore, but I'm going to. It was uh, back to Urban Meyer in Ohio State, okay? Excuse me. Um, This past week, Tom Rinaldi did an interview with Coach Meyer on ESPN. I give Rinaldi high marks for the job that he did in the interview. He took the report that was generated by Ohio State, by Urban Meyer's employer, and he asked questions off of that report. He obviously did his homework, and the questions were very pointed, and the questions were not easy, but the questions were fair because they were basically based on the report that the uh, Meyer's employer had generated, and and they were – direct quotes from Meyer in different press conferences. And Meyer looked like, and the only way I can characterize this, and I've been thinking about it for a couple of days, but he looked like the little kid sitting at the dinner table that's mother tells him, I'm not going to let you go out and play until you eat all your vegetables. That's the kind of look that was on his face. And it was so, I thought, incongruous, if you will, to the charges, that he was just a kid that wanted to get out of there as fast as he could and get back to being normal. And it just, I thought, was a bad, bad look for Urban Meyer and Ohio State. The Rinaldi did a great job. But on the interview, I thought Meyer came off looking poorly. Ohio State came off looking poorly. That's just the latest in the uh, Ohio State sexual assault charge or sexual assault story of an assistant coach at Ohio State that Urban Meyer kept on staff and finally fired. And now Urban Meyer returns to the sidelines. His suspension is over. And this interview is part of that whole story. And all I can tell you is if you saw that interview, you saw a guy that was squirming and looking to get out of there as fast as he could, as opposed to a guy who was truly regretful and remorseful about Uh, the events that happened that basically he was in charge of. That's the last you're going to hear from me on Urban Meyer. Time to get onto my soapbox, you don't mind. Targeting in the Michigan game with SMU, Kalik Hudson was ejected. He must sit out the first half against Nebraska. I really have a problem with this. And part of the problem with targeting is it's not the rule. I think it's a right thing to do. You want safety in the game. There's no question. And the rule has been written to make sure there is safety in the game, especially in the head and neck area because of the recent uh, increase in CTE problems when you look at the brain and how you know concussions can cause those problems. Uh, but the game is a physical game, and, and the referees are interpreting this rule in different ways. Now, I think it was awful, and I think that the uh, – Rules committee has to get together and understand that you can't have a guy sitting in the press box and call that play and call that penalty on the field. That's what happened to Kalik Hudson against SMU. The referees on the field didn't call the penalty. They didn't call targeting. They didn't call unnecessary roughness. It was the guy up in the press box looking at the replay that decided, I'm going to stop the game and I'm going to kick a kid out. I'm sorry, but I don't think that's his place. And I know that they've given him that. Uh, ability to do that. The rules have given that guy in the replay booth the ability to do that. 
The problem is, is that I don't think he sees the game as well as the guys on the field that are five feet away. And yet he was able to stop the game, throw a flag that was never thrown in the first place from the press box, and eject a kid from the football game. And here's the other part about this deal. The rule that's written. Think about this. I'm going to read the rule that's written in the NCAA rule book. And you'll understand how convoluted, how anybody who reads this, any referee who tries to interpret it, has got to go through a univac, some kind of computer to figure out what's going on. I'm going to read the rule. Quote, no player shall target and make forcible contact against an opponent with the crown of his helmet. This foul requires that there be at least one indicator of targeting. See note one below. When in question, it is a foul. Here we are with note one. (laughs) Targeting means that a player takes aim at an opponent for purposes of attacking with forcible contact that goes beyond making a legal tackle or a legal block or playing ball. Some indicators of targeting include, but are not limited to, launch. A player leaving his feet to attack an opponent by an upward and forward thrust of the body to make forcible contact in the head or neck area. A crouch followed by an upward and forward thrust to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area, even though one or both feet are still on the ground. Leading with the helmet, shoulder, forearm, fist, hand, or elbow to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area. Lowering the head before attacking by initiating forcible contact with the crown of the helmet. A hit on a kicker who's in the middle of a kick will be judged differently than a hit on a player who's trying to make a tackle. Note two, a defenseless player, a player in the act of or just after throwing a pass, a receiver attempting to catch a forward pass, a kicker in the act of or just after kicking a ball, a kick returner attempting to catch or recover a kick, a player on the ground, a player obviously out of the play, a player who receives a blindside block, a ball carrier already in the grasp of an opponent and whose forward progress has been stopped, a quarterback Any time after a change of possession, a ball carrier who has obviously given himself up and is sliding first. That's the rule. A referee's got to go all through that when he makes his determination in an instant when he sees a play at full speed. The one I love is the quarterback at any time after change of possession. So apparently a quarterback quits becoming a player when he throws an interception. If he's going to tackle the guy that's returning his interception, you can't block him. According to this, if you followed this rule on its face, that's what you got for targeting. Now, here's the part of it that's insidious. Football is a game of reaction. Football is a game that you need to react. You don't walk in and say, oh, There's a guy, I'm going to move over here, I'm going to drop my head down here, and I'm going to make sure i got a perfect form tackle because it's moving and it's moving fast. And I'll just let all of you out there think about this. You know how you're driving a car and say there's a paper bag out there that flies up and it kind of gets in the windshield and it's coming toward your windshield and you know you've got a windshield in front of you, but when you see it come at your windshield and you're going 40 miles an hour, you move your head to avoid it. You jerk your head. If out of the corner of your eye, sometimes you see a fly coming in, you don't know what it is, you jerk your head out of the way. Well, that same thing happens in football at real time, at speed. So when a player 
sees something coming from his peripheral vision, he knows and he moves his head. He protects himself. And yet there's another guy coming the same way, doing the same thing. When they're both protecting themselves, trying to do the legal thing, their helmets meet. Which one should get the penalty? It shouldn't be arbitrary to an official. That's part of the game. That's what the game is about. You can't legislate how your body reacts at speed, and yet they're trying to do that. The rule in the NFL where Clay Matthews tackles Kirk Cousins and he gets a 15-yard penalty for unnecessary roughness, he did everything right. He tackled the guy. He didn't use his helmet. He tackled him around his waist. He took him down to the ground. I don't think he tried to pound him into the ground, but he gets a 15-yard penalty in the Green Bay-Minnesota game, and ultimately uh, that has an effect on the outcome of the game. I thought Clay Matthews was perfectly fine with how he made that play. They're changing the game. Again, the game is played at speed. You can't legislate a guy going a mile a minute and trying to do his job. If you were a coach today, I don't know how you could coach a guy to play defense. I really don't. Because he's got to sit there and wait and kind of think in his head, well, if I put my head over here, if I do, if you have to play the game that way, you'll never play the game well. It's a game of reaction. It's a game of instinct. You are best when you just do what comes natural without necessarily thinking about it. Barry Sanders, as great a running back as he was, never sat there and thought, I'm going to spin around and make that guy miss. It just happens. And for them to legislate that out of the game, to me, makes the game worse. And I know there are people out there, writers, referees, who hate me right now. They think, ah, you can't say that. No, it was a legal call both ways. Fine, you can think what you think. I can think what I think. I've got my right to my opinion, too. you got your right to your opinion. But don't tell me that it's not hurting the game and it's not affecting the game and the outcome of games. When it's wrong, it's wrong, and it's obvious to me when it is wrong. When it's not obvious and the guy is just playing the game the way he's taught, let him go. You can make the call. You can penalize them. And it's when it's unsafe, I get that. Good. Go ahead. Do it. But use common sense. Don't have a kid like Kalik Hudson thrown out of a game, missing the first half of another game because he makes a play that's just natural to him. He did nothing wrong. He doesn't think he did anything wrong. And yet he's sitting out a football game and was thrown out of a game and gets that ejection on television and not to mention the fact that he can't play the next week. I just don't think it's right. I think they need to revisit these targeting rules and uh, the unnecessary roughness rules in the National Football League because, in my opinion, they're getting in the way of the game. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, That was my time on the soapbox, and then when we come back, we're going to be talking with John Wangler. We're also going to have our trivia too deep, so don't go away. This is The Brandy Show. The Brandy Show is a Zing Media Group production. Zing Media Group, tell your story. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, special guest today. Really delighted to have Michigan quarterback, former Michigan quarterback, John Wangler with us. Wangs, what's up? How you doing, Brandy? I'm Good doing. To be here and uh, nice I, talking with you. I'm Let's doing go. great. It's great talking <laughs> with you too. How's everything going? Good, been good, Jim. Just uh, out here selling uh, some t-shirts and hats and 
chasing some kids around and uh, <laughs> you having fun watching uh, Michigan football this uh, this fall. Absolutely, and that's the thing I want to talk about. You're in the apparel business, right? I am. And tell us about that and and how the apparel business has changed over the years because it's become the logo wars, hasn't it? It really has. Uh, you know, between Nike and Jordan, brand Jordan and Under Armour and Adidas and every other uh, you know big company that's getting out there with logos and the licenses, uh, especially which I do a lot of, is the licensed product. The licenses are becoming very difficult to have, and um, it's being condensed. Uh, a lot of the business is going online now with fanatics, and uh, yeah, the whole landscape has changed, and it's uh, very, very competitive, and uh, it's uh, real cutthroat. It's it's a tough deal, and the thing about licenses, you're a lot of the business is predicated on wins and losses. And uh, if your team doesn't win, you don't sell as much. And if, if they uh, they do, then, you know, it's a good year. So not only do you have to have the right product and the right designs, you have to hope that your teams do well because you can have a great product. And if your team's not doing well, um, you know, nobody wants to buy it. Yeah. How'd you get into it, John? Dumb luck. Um, <laughs> guy, uh, Marty, Marty Jacobson and his brother Dick went to Michigan Marty went to UMass, and uh, they were looking for a guy back in 1986, somebody to cover the the Midwest who has some sales experience and played sports. They had hired a a guy in Florida, Wally Woodham, who was quarterback at Florida State, and he did pretty well, so they were trying to duplicate that that model. And uh, a guy knew of me, and uh, actually he called – my dad has the same name as me, and he called our house and started talking to my dad for 20 minutes, and my dad – uh, being the character that he is, let him go for 20 minutes. And he said, well, sounds like a great opportunity, but I'm 50 some years old. I think you're looking for my son. So <laughs> they they called me and then I uh, took a shot and got into business in 86 and uh, with, with not Meg Mills. And then they were bought by Vanity Fair. And, and I went with Reebok and then Adidas bought Reebok. And I've been, uh, been kind of in this really for, for over 30 years. That's great. Well, you've done a great job with it. Now, here's the question. We're going to get into football now a little bit. I, your quarterback, former quarterback Michigan, one of the best. Shea Patterson came into Michigan this year with a tremendous reputation from Mississippi. Talk to me how you think Shea has played. I've been impressed. I mean, Notre Dame was a little bit of a hiccup, but I thought his offensive line didn't help him much. But I, thought, I think Shea Patterson's the real deal. What about you, John? I do, too. Uh, I, you know, and I think, uh, obviously, coming into a new system, uh, he had to get comfortable, and I think the – Coaches had to get comfortable with him and what he could do. I mean, everyone had heard what he had done down at Ole Miss and the SEC. But, you know, coming up here, it was, uh, you know, it takes a little time for him to get comfortable and the coaches to call the plays that, you know, put him in the best chance for success. And I agree with you. You know, I don't think we helped him a ton at at Notre Dame. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, it seems like he's really starting to to find his groove. And, you know, we haven't had a, a player at that position to be able to do some of the things that he's done, you know, in a while. And it's fun to watch him, you know, extend plays and make plays with his feet. And he's got a really good arm. And, uh, you know, I think he's been real accurate too. He's only missed on a few passes that I thought were, you know, just misses. And he's, he's done a good job. I've been very impressed. And uh, I really think, uh, you know, the best is yet to come. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the season plays out. But I, I think, uh, you know, Michigan and, and everyone should be really happy with the way Shea's played. Now, the other thing, too, is that you've got 
kids playing for Michigan. What's it like being the father of a Division One player and and playing at your alma mater? You're unique in that regard, John. Uh, yeah, kind of. We, I mean, we have a lot of uh, former players. You know, have some kids on the team, which Jim's done a nice job giving a lot of former players kids uh, opportunities. And but I tell you, it's a lot uh, more stressful than playing yourself. And I, I really. Uh, <laughs> sit there and it's uh you know it's it's a it's a different experience it's so great to see them be able to you know come out of the tunnel and and have that uniform on and that helmet and be part of this great program that you know we all enjoyed and played for right i would Uh, imagine i would imagine one of the i know it's stressful but i would imagine one of the fun things for you is to watch your kids bring home friends from the team because you still remain close to friends on your team, and you kind of know that's going to happen to him, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Uh, they always come by. They come by a lot during the year when they have a break, but especially during the summer, they'll come over. Uh, you know, I, I put a pool in a few years ago, so they bring them all over, and uh, I cook up some burgers for them, and they uh, – have a ball jumping on the stuff at the pool and playing pool <laughs> basketball. So it's fun to see those kids in, um, you know, a regular setting, right? You, you see all the, the, the players, you know, the great players run around and, you know, when they see them out there, but when you see them, you know, as just regular college kids, it, it's nice to, to be able to see the other side of them. And there's a, there's a lot of great kids there at Michigan. There, there really are. I think Jim's done a great job bringing in a lot of character kids and, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, having them come around and, you know, just being a part of it. Yeah, the other thing that John Wangler is famous for, besides the Anthony Carter catch and all that other stuff, John, uh, you run, without question, one of the finest tailgates uh, in the parking lots all around Ann Arbor on game day. You, of course, know that, don't you? Well, uh, it's not me, trust me. <laughs> you know, it started, it started, I take, you know, very, very little credit for that. My My mom... Uh, obviously was, was the matriarch of that. And, uh, and, it, and, you know, she did it for over, over 30 years. And, um, uh, when she passed last year, we wanted to carry it on. And, uh, my cousins have stepped up and my wife and a lot of friends have all helped and pitched in. And it's, it's been nice. And it's been nice being next to Caldo. Well, I was going to say, how did you get, how did you get, how did you get stuck next to Calderazzo? <laughs> I don't know. It happened probably, I don't know, 50 or 20 years ago. I don't know what, how it exactly it happened, but him and my mom started talking. And then all of a sudden we said, well, probably makes more sense just to kind of combine the, the two and we can get the, you know, cross section of a couple of different eras. And, uh, it's, it's worked out great. You know, uh, Caldo and my mom were just as, as thick as these and, yeah. you know, to have you guys stop over before and everybody come by, you know, it's just a great, well, it's a great thing and just, great tradition. John, you feed thousands over there. You know that. I, I don't even like to think about the number, but it, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, everybody, if they're hungry, they just stop over and we don't really ask any questions. And, uh, but it's good because it's fun to see kids grow up uh, who, when they were little, they started coming by and then they, you know, end up going to Michigan and then they become successful adults and they come back and always talk about what a wonderful experience that was. So it, it is, it is something special and, it, and you know, it, it, it just, it's, that's what Michigan's about, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the tradition and history and just to be a small part of right. it is, is really nice. It's about family. And uh, the other thing I want to mention to you is uh, might as well plug you because, we're all doing podcasts these days, it seems like, and you've got a podcast going with a buddy of yours uh, who a lot of people might recognize, Les Miles, former coach at LSU, 
in Oklahoma State. <laughs> Uh, you and he were teammates, I think roommates at one point in Michigan. And you yeah, and he now yeah, are doing never, Yeah, you're doing a podcast never, together. We are, Jim. We, we never played. Les was leaving when I was coming in. But then my um, uh, after he was our GA for us my last couple of years. And then when I came back and was a graduate assistant, we lived together for two years. So, uh, you know, a lot of you guys might know Les is, is a great coach, but now he thinks he's the next Robert Redford. Oh uh, he's no, reacting. he's he's gone and, that uh, way now. He's gone. He's gone to the dark side. Uh, you may want to watch his commercials for college football. No, 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 no. Dr. I, I, Pepper I, the, and uh, the, Dos Equis. I know. Uh, the only thing that would do is know, encourage him, and I don't know whether I want to. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, he's very interesting. Interesante is that how you say that? Is whatever he's talking about with Dos Equis. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, he's doing good and. Uh, He's, uh, you know, adjusting to life, you know, outside of football. But I know he loved to coach. Uh, that's always been his, you know, he's still got a lot of gas left in the tank. Uh-huh. But uh, I think he's devoting that energy to watching his son play at uh, Texas A&M and North Carolina. They're both college football players. And then uh, also, uh, you know, be able to do a little acting on the side here. That's so. pretty good. Hey, what uh, what's the name of the show and uh, where, do, where can people go get it? it it's Less is More. Less is more, and uh, it's put on by Players Tribune, and we release every Tuesday. Uh, you can pick it up, and uh, his his daughter uh, Smacker Miles is on there. She's probably the most intelligent one on that uh, broadcast. That's, that's a no. And, that's uh, a no brainer right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty bar's low, but uh, no, it's good. It's been fun, and uh, it's just fun to talk college football. Uh, you know, something we all love, and uh, yeah, listen to it and. Uh, you know, have some fun, and uh, you know we're trying to trying to grow it, and I think you'll get some good insights from the from the Mad Hatter. You know, Les has always been a colorful guy, so he comes up with some uh, some crazy crazy quotes that you know we have to reel him back in every now and then. Yeah, I but. can imagine so. Hey, I'm going to play uh, trivia too deep with you. Uh, this is the starting okay. offense from 2015. I'm going to uh, make you force you to go back in your memory book. It was Jim's first year at Michigan. And I've got all these two deep charts that I use when I broadcast, and I figure I might as well use them. So I call this mm-hmm. feature Trivia Too Deep. And you should be able to get this one, the quarterback for the Michigan team in 2015. Uh, Jake Rudock. Way to go. His backup was Wilton Spate. Okay, wide receivers. Right. You should get these two guys also. Uh uh, Darbo and uh, Chesson. Absolutely. Right? Amara Darbo and Jehu Chesson. Yep. Grant Perry and Drake Harris were also on that team. Up front, John, because I know you don't care about the offensive line, but I do. So I want to tell you who Only the offensive line uh, oh, Wait, wait now. You loved them. You had, to, you had to have them or you would have been nailed back there. And, and they helped you out, yeah, John. I love my offensive line. Uh, Kurt Becker's coming up for the game this see, weekend. I love George Lilja, Bubba, and Big Ed. Big Ed oh and Bubba, God, absolutely. Well, the, the 2015 starting offensive line from left to right, Mason Cole, Ben Braden, Graham Glasgow, now playing for the Lions, Kyle Kalis, and Eric Magnuson. That was the front. Okay. And Grant Newsom actually was a backup as a true freshman. Grant just recently okay. retired. And uh, mm-hmm. tight end, that team. You should get this. Uh, the tight end was Jake Butt. Jake Butt, exactly. A.J. Williams and Khalid Hill backed him up. Running back, Davion Smith, Ty Isaac, and Drake Johnson. And the kicker was Kenny Allen and Blake O'Neill. So that's our trivia two deep, Wangs. Not bad, huh? Uh, 
Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah. Well, not, you, you can steal that if you want to use it on your show now. Uh, you know, the imitation is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> you know that. All right. Now we're going to go shot clock. Now, shot clock is where you answer quickly and I kind of tell you my own thing. I give you a topic and then you, you do it as quick as you can and then I come back with my own. Ready? Yep. Okay. Favorite bow story? Favorite what story? Bow story. Oh, there's too many of them. Come on. I, I, where do you want me to start? I mean, there's too many of them. Just give me a quick one. Did he ever kick you out of practice? Absolutely. He I did. was the dumbest quarterback in the history of intercollegiate football. <laughs> and, and then I said, really, Bo? That's a long time. He said, you're gone. Get get out. And uh, that was uh, that was a good one. And there's also a good one. I went in there and told him that I should be playing more. And uh, that if not, I was going to transfer and play basketball at Michigan. I talked to Coach Orr. And he said, I saw you play basketball. You're not good enough. So uh, we we worked out a compromise. I played defensive back for uh, 10 days in spring and came back to play quarterback, and it was the best move I could ever make. The whole game slowed down, and, uh, you know, I was a happy camper. Yeah, and you did very, very well. My favorite bow story, kicked me out of practice after I missed the block on a punt, uh, punt protection, mm-hmm. and I didn't miss the block. It was somebody else. You know who it was? You know who it was? It was Calderazzo. Seymour. No, Calderazzo. Oh, Calderazzo. Yeah, he missed the block, but 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 both thought it was me, so he sent me up the tunnel, and I'm out walking up the tunnel with tears in my eyes, going, "What about my scholarship? I'm gonna have to call my mom and dad and say my scholarship's gone." That was the worst thought in my head. Oh, I know, I know. Did did, did he have the um, the yardstick out? Oh yeah. Was he? He was mad about your split. No, or no. He, he, he thought he thought I he thought I jabbed out too far, but my split was okay. okay. He had to have some kind okay. of a reason. Okay, shot clock continues. Um, what are your best plays when you played? Everybody's going to think it's the uh, uh, Anthony Carter uh, last play in Indiana. Uh, that was a, that was pretty good. Um, you know, uh, there's a there's a few passes that I remember. Uh, you know, the one pass uh, in Minnesota, we threw it in the end zone and uh, threatened a few guys. Anthony came up and made a great a great catch. Uh, that was, uh, that was pretty good. I mean, you know, they, it's hard to single, single yeah, one out. Obviously yeah. the, that Indiana one is, is tough to top, but you know, the couple passes in the Rose bowl when we went for a touchdown. And, and you know, hey, John, Ohio State. that's where I was going to go because I thought your slant cut to Anthony was, was a, uh, games in the balance in the Rose bowl. And, and you threaded a needle and Anthony came up with that slant cut from about the five yard line. I thought that was a great throw. Great catch. Yeah, that was that was good. Um, you know, I, I like to remember I had a, a like a thirteen or fourteen yard run against Ohio State. You know, you were always enamored with my running ability, and I I, I, I always remember John. that that was uh, that was one of my uh, John, my John, great highlights. John, you know, John, to be honest. putting running and ability in the same sentence for you is really not correct. Okay, you could run, well, be, but you be, didn't have the be, ability to run. <laughs> but, but before my knee, I wasn't bad, man. I, I got a bad rap. Tell the story. You, wasn't it in the North Carolina game, the bowl game, Gator, well, before you got hurt, that you were lobbying. No, it was in the Rose Bowl. You were lobbying Bo to run an option play with you. And Bo looked at you like you were from Mars. No, he ran it. I wasn't lobbying him. He Look, at, <laughs> he knew that I might have been the best option to get in the end zone from the two-yard line. 
And uh, I didn't. I got down to the half yard line, and then uh, we had to have Stanley go over the top to get the touchdown. I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. The quarterback sneak. I, he had me on the option, and and I, if I would have quarterback sneak behind Lilja, I think I could have got it, but it didn't quite come to fruition. Okay, running backs when you were playing. Give me uh, your your one, two, three. Oh, jeez, uh, Butch Wolfolk. Uh, Stanley Edwards, Lawrence Ricks, those guys. I mean, when I was younger, you know, Russell Davis, Rob Lytle was absolutely the best. Uh, Harlan Huckleby, we had we had great backs. Lawrence Reed, uh, I mean, Rosie Smith. Yeah. We had a uh, unbelievable amount of great running backs. But you know, the ones in my last two years, uh, Butch and Stan and and Larry Ricks. Uh, you know, I loved playing with. Them. All right, uh, most underrated John Wangler skill. Uh, that's a great one. I uh, I don't know. I now, think, let me give uh, you. You know what I think? It, let me throw something at you. Know, I'm going to be nice to you here. You know what I think it is? <laughs> Leadership. Uh, uh, I don't think anybody yeah, I, realizes when you came back from your injury and your surgery uh, that. That team, John, just basically became your team because you worked so hard to come back from a pretty darn bad knee injury. And you accepted that role, and I think that's underrated in that whole year that you guys got Boa's first bowl victory in the Rose Bowl. Well, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I always prided myself on trying to be a really good leader. I think that was something, and, you know, I – and I think leadership, I wasn't maybe like a like rah-rah vocal guy. I mean, I talked a lot, but I wasn't out there screaming, you know, I think it was more by example. And, and they knew they could count on me, right? They knew that I would do whatever it took to, to you know, maximize uh, my ability and to get the team in the right play and, and position. And they knew when I was out there that, that they were going to get everything I had. And I think it, it resonated with the guys and, you know, it, it, we had a real tight team, and I think that that was a tribute to not only me but all of our seniors and fifth-year guys, uh, especially that last year. Well, that, that that to me was one of your great strengths. Last question on, on the to, uh, shot clock, John. Uh, favorite tailgate food? <laughs> well, you know what I got to go there, Jim. It's it's uh, chili and rice. I know. Uh, my mom. Uh, that was her specialty. It was always the last home game, and usually it was Ohio State and. Uh, that was uh, that really is uh, the best, and uh, you know we love having that, and that's uh, kind of a, a legendary uh, cuisine for that last home game. Yeah, it was. Well, I'm going to go uh, two things here uh, from your tailgate. Last week's the bratwursts were outstanding. Okay, with the mm-hmm. uh, onions and peppers, but the nut roll also. Yeah, yeah, the nut roll that my cousin makes. Uh, is is legendary too. Yeah, yeah. That that's uh, very very strong. Very strong. Well, I'm always good on food. You know that. Wangs, thanks so much for being on yeah. the Brandy Show. I look forward to making a guest appearance on Less Is More. Also, if if the actor Coach Miles will have me. Well, yeah, I think we can work that out because <laughs> you two have the offensive line kinship, and uh, we'd love to have you on there, and we'll we'll make that happen. Thanks for having me. Always fun and. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday afternoon. Absolutely, Wangs. Great talking with you, and we look forward to seeing you at the uh, Wangler Calderazzo tailgate right there in the Victor's lot. Best of wishes to you, John, your family, the kids, your lovely bride, and, uh, of course, your dad. Good to see him the other day, too. Thanks, Brandy. All right, be well. John Wangler, our guest. Yep. 
John Wangler, our guest on The Brandy Show. Uh, great time today. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. Appreciate you being along. Make sure to listen to Michigan football. Uh, every week we've got the game this week against Nebraska. Noon kick, WWJ, News Radio 950 in Detroit. Don't forget Inside Michigan Football. Uh, the TV show, Channel 7, 1030, Sunday mornings on Channel 7. You can also get it on mgoblue.com. If you come across me, Jim Brandstetter, on your Facebook page, Make sure you like me and follow our adventures on Twitter at Jim Brandstatter, okay? All that stuff goes together along with the podcast, and we appreciate you all being with us. Special thanks to the folks at Podcast Detroit for making sure we get this podcast done and you can listen to it, and Zing Media and Kathleen Stevens, our producer. Uh, that's it for this week. Thanks for, very, for listening, and uh, so long. This has been The Brandy Show.